Welcome to Drum Talk International, the Gretsch Sessions, which is brought to you by Gaver Music. My name is Gemma Hill, and I'll be your host for this mini-series, where I'll be speaking to some of the hugest names in drums. We're celebrating 140 years of Gretsch drums by finding out the story that connects these artists to the brand that they love so much. Before we continue, a small favour... Please like, comment and follow this podcast to support what I've worked on so far and to increase the likelihood of more episodes in the future. Now, let's carry on. My guest has toured and or recorded with artists such as John Mayer, Toto, Sting, Diana Ross, Mike Stern, Wayne Krantz, Rascal Flatts, Iris Ramazzotti, Michael Buble and many, many more. He has played for Steely Dan for more than 20 years, winning a Grammy with them for Album of the Year in 2001 on his debut recording with the band Two Against Nature. Join me in welcoming the brilliant Keith Carlock. So I'm going to start off by saying, Keith Carlock, welcome to Drum Talk International, the Gretsch Sessions. And secondly, I found a magazine. This was the last time that we would have been in touch and it was 2015. I was editing a drum, a, a drum magazine in the UK and you were on the cover. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that. I think that's photos from the London Drum Show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Was that 2015? Yeah. I think wow. you'd, you'd just joined Toto. You'd done a, a tour in Japan with Toto. That's right. I remember. Wow. Time flies. It does. So back then you were living in New York mm -hmm. and now you're living in Nashville. Yeah. Can you tell me how that happened? Uh, yeah, it kind of gradually happened over time. Um, I had family here for years. Uh, I grew up in the South originally. I'm originally from Mississippi. A lot of people don't, maybe don't know that, but my family lived in Nashville. They kind of migrated up north to Nashville over the years while I was in New York. I was in New York for over 20 years, and that kind of became home. But um, long story short, I was visiting here a lot because my family was here, you know, during the holidays and things like that. And my wife and I were starting our family, and we were having starting to have kids, and we had one and then we had two and then we had three <laughs> and then um, we were like you know Manhattan's getting a little difficult and uh, since we had been visiting here so much we kind of started liking it and thought we would give it a shot and um, we had uh, a lot of time to kind of think about it and figure it out where, where we wanted to be in the Nashville area and found a cool spot and and we love it it, it was a it was a weird transition at first because we were so used to the city life, but now we love it. You know, it's been, it's been great and the kids are happy. So that's really what matters. <laughs> what are your favorite studios to record at in Nashville? Well, Blackbird is great. I haven't done this in a while. I've been recording at home so much. Blackbird is awesome. There's uh, Ocean Way. It's like this old church that's beautiful. The drums sound great in there. Yeah, I'm kind of blanking right now, but the, those those two come to mind. Yeah, there's so many great studios here, you know. And that was the thing about New York. It seems like they were all disappearing, and Nashville seems to be one of the only places left that still has some great rooms that are being used, you know. 
Is it true what people say about you feeling like you're just seeped in musical history when you're around there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I never, you know, I never thought about being here in the music scene. It's it's just the way it happened was mainly just to raise the family here, you know, and just to get out of the city and and give something else a try. But I, you know, I do love it. I love that there's really a lot going on here and um you know, I'm still mostly on the road when I work. You know, the pandemic slowed all that down. But so it's kind of, we're still coming out of that, it feels like. But I'm, you know, I'm mostly recording at home and 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 still doing the, the live work that I've been doing forever, you know. But yeah, I mean, Nashville's got a great, great vibe happening and it's changing all the time and lots of people are moving here. It's just growing like crazy and it's of course it's known for country, but it's got a lot of other things happening. It's it's really pretty exciting place. It just seems like a lot of the new young players are moving here more than ever, from what I can tell. You know, it's really cool. Okay, I'm going to go a bit more general now and say, how do you describe your career to someone that you just meet? Whoa. Well, uh, my career has been a giant tidal wave. It's been it's been crazy. It's been a great ride. It's um, the greatest roller coaster. You know, <laughs> I've been really lucky to play with a lot of my heroes and a lot of situations that I dreamed about when I was a kid. You know, so it's pretty cool that I was able to accomplish a lot of those those dreams and goals that that I had growing up. And just, I wasn't sure it would ever happen, but I knew I was going to give it the hardest try that I could. But um, certainly I put in the work and I certainly um, took it very seriously uh, getting there, you know, going up that ladder and trying to figure out how to make those things happen and get in the right places. And, you know, moving to New York was a big step and, and that kind of opened up all these doors and but prior to that, I was I was really consciously thinking about what I needed to have together and just mainly playing wise. I was focused on the music, focused on being the best player I could be and just being versatile and finding a voice that's that was mine and how I could ad- adapt to different situations and 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 be myself within those situations, I guess. There was a lot of a lot of work, a lot of a lot of practice, <laughs> and uh, and so when I felt like I was ready, I took the big move and and uh, to see what could happen, <laughs> and and luckily things started to happen, and and it's just been like I said, just a a ride. It's been really really great. I've been fortunate. Okay, I'd like to ask you now about joining a band such as Toto, when you then uh, get asked to step in and you're following someone like Simon Phillips or before him, Jeff Picaro, what do you do mentally to prepare that for that? And do you feel in any way under pressure to kind of live up to what those players have been like before you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's it's always an honor. It's always kind of like this you get this another credential, you know, added to your story, I guess. Um, when something like that happens, you're coming in after someone you really admire and respect and, and you're, 
maybe joining a band that you have all this respect for and and there's so much history there and and I have a lot of experience doing that. <laughs> I mean from from the very beginning I was I just feel like I was replacing all these legends, you know, you know from from some of my first gigs in New York to, you know, especially Steely Dan. I mean, that's been all the drummers that have been associated with that group. And then Toto coming later. I mean, you know, it's it's an honor and it's a privilege. And I, I take it seriously. And I just try to tell myself that I have something valid to say with it. And, and, uh, um, and just try to really do do the music justice in my way, but also taking, uh, but, you know, paying homage to what, what was done and all those great players, like you say, Simon and, and Jeff, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. So it's, it's, it's cool to be a part of, to, to be associated with that. Um, but it's also, um, a responsibility to come in there and just, just be confident and do your thing. And that's what I've always tried to do. Just make it, make it okay. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay there, but I'm going to do it my way. And hopefully um, it's just as valid in some way. Okay. So you're not the only musical person in your family. Can you tell me a bit about uh, your wife is also a musician and your children seem to be musical too. Are you comfortable talking about them? Oh yeah, of course. I love talking about them. Uh, yeah, my wife is a great singer, songwriter, and that's how we met initially in New York. She was there when I moved there, and we we had some mutual friends that connected us. You know, connections just kind of we ended up meeting through the, those people that we knew mutually, and um, and the rest is history. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she's great, really talented, and we used to do shows together back in the day. We've done recordings together and we've written songs together and it's been, that's been really fun to, to have that to share, you know, and you know, the, uh, my three, I have three daughters and they're, they're all still pretty young. Uh, my oldest is 12 and our middle child is, she is nine and the youngest is six. So they're all starting to show their, their talents more and more and, and they're, they're all into acting and they're doing really great. They have an agent. They're out there auditioning all the time. Actually, they do it from home. We have a, a whole video set up where they submit auditions. That's how they do it now. It's not in person anymore. So they're really talented there. They, they all have just natural musical talent. Um, the older two really are good singers, Really, really, like they just sing in tune and they have good rhythm and, and it's just natural. I'm not sure about the younger one yet. She's more into dancing and and doing some acting. But, you know, she's still young. But she'll probably be a great singer too, you know, once she starts getting into that more. But, yeah, it's really fun to watch, to just see to see them develop and see where where they go with it. You know, I try to just watch it and be, um, be there to just guide them if they, if they need anything. But it's really, I'm just, I just like letting them find their way. Cause that's the only way I knew I didn't have anyone, you know, my parents weren't really musical. So it's, I'm, I'm trying to just realize, okay, I found it myself. I think they'll, they'll figure it out. And the fact that my wife and I are 
creative types and we're musical and everything. I think they just, they probably just assume every family does this, you know, <laughs> but they're just around it. So it's natural for them to just be around it. So it's not a big deal. It's, it's just kind of normal. So um, they probably picked up things from us here and there, but mostly it's just them finding their way. It's pretty cool. But they, yeah, they just have a natural, I mean, I, if they didn't have it, I would be kind of freaked out, you know, if they didn't have just a natural, you know, because of us, you know, the, being the parents, I don't know. Sorry, I was going to ask if they've taken an interest in drums as well, or is it mainly singing? It's mainly singing um, and acting right now. The oldest, she's played um, a little bit of drums, like some of the auditions sometimes, you know, they want you to play a musical instrument, or sometimes they'll even, she's had auditions for roles where she had to play drums, and I would just quickly show her a few little things, you know, but she doesn't really have that, desire to to just practice and and get deep into it yet i mean maybe eventually we'll see but she she definitely has shown that she just has that natural ability like she's one of those really talented people that just she could be good but if she really wants to be great i always tell her you gotta put the work in and you have to study and get deep into the details and and get excited about it you know and if and if, if not then i i just kind of let her find what whatever that is you know and so far, it's been in singing and acting. <laughs> so where you said your parents weren't musical, do you know where where it's come from with you then? Because it is, music is really genetic. I, I don't know. I was just, my situation, I didn't have parents that were, I mean, they just didn't have any musical, not, I mean, it was just nothing. I mean, they 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 were fans of music. And so that was really it. I just had music playing around the house, but I was one of those weird kids that just knew from the beginning, somehow this is what I wanted to do. Like from a really early age, I just knew already. It's, it's really bizarre. I just was drawn to the drums from the earliest age I can remember, just listening to records and trying to figure out what, what I was hearing and what they were doing. And as soon as I could, I wanted lessons and I wanted to get drums and they just never stopped. And my parents were luckily supportive with it. But um, yeah, they eventually they realized this is not going to stop. So they, they, they were like, I mean, they were great because they were, they were really, I think because it was so foreign to them, they, it was exciting, you know, seeing me develop and then get into situations that were encouraging me to, to keep going and, and that maybe I had something, you know, something there. So they, they had fun with it. And I was in bands from age 10 or even earlier. I was playing in bars and they were they had to get me in, you know, and take my drums and help me set up. And they, they got way into it. So that was great. But yeah, it's weird. I, I just kind of figured something out. And, and it was always my, always my identity, always my escape. What advice are you able to give your children about the music industry? Don't do it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, it's really, the industries are just, you know, they, they change so much. And, and um, you know, I kind of come from the old school. I always feel like I was one of the last ones to get into the business, like kind of the old school way before social media and before all everything that, that the tools that everyone has now. But it, I just focus on, with them so far is just putting in the work. You know, if you love something and this is, 
and you find some kind of passion that you love, you just have to put in the work, you know, and that, and everything else will work out. You'll get opportunities because you're great. Not, you know, of course, um, the other skills of life will, will, will happen and, and they'll, they can work on that later. But right now it's just putting in the work and, and, and just being, you know, better than, than just good. So that's where we're at so far. <laughs> on the topic of your family, how is it now with children and touring? How do you deal with that? It's it's gotten harder with three. Um, when we just had one in the beginning, it was it was easier to manage because even before kids, my wife would come out a lot. You know, she would travel with me, um, and with one, it was easy to do. It was a lot easier than having more than one. I would just we just kind of had a rule where we would try not to go longer than two weeks apart. So if I could come home on a day off or I could, or if I could manage to fly them out to meet me somewhere, that's what we would do over the years. I mean, since the pandemic, we kind of were, I've been forced to be home more than ever. So um, that's been great to um, go through that and just kind of figure out other things to do. For, you know, that I, I just had never been home this much. And it's been wonderful to, to, to be a part of their everyday life, you know, that I've, I would have missed so much of it. So it's, a, it's really great. If, there, you know, if things were just continuing as they always did for 20 years, I just had this 20-year run that just never stopped. And then, bam, it was like, I'm sure we all felt that, you know. It's like all of a sudden we're, we're, we're forced to just pause and figure out, oh, Okay, now what? What are we going to do now? Because <laughs> we were the first to go and the last to come back, you know, it's the, especially the live industry. That's been, it's been an interesting time. But there's so many great things that happened, I think, because of it. Um, at least you have to look at it that way. Are there other things that you've developed during that time that have added to your career or added to your skill set, rather? Well, definitely the recording thing, because I'm really late to the game on it, but I always wanted to have a home studio that I could just record drums for people or, or, or whatever. And that's, that's mainly what I did during the time. I, I, I decided, well, this is my chance. You know, I'm, I'm home. I don't know how long this is going to be, and I can finally just focus on it and um, just get all the gear that I need. And I, I had some you know, Nashville has some great engineers and I've, I've met some that become friends that came over and helped me learn Pro Tools really fast. And, you know, I, I was starting from, I mean, I just not a technical person in that area. But now I'm just completely self-sufficient and I can, you know, as I said, I'm late to the game. This has been going on forever and I'm finally able to say I can record from home, but, but it's, that's been fun. And so, yeah, I mean, that's probably the main thing for, that, that happened for me during this downtime, you know, it's been really great and it's been consistently busy, you know, it just kind of, luckily, I guess, it, I guess everyone was doing it during lockdown and stuff, but, but I, and I guess people knew that they could pretty much contact anyone to play on their stuff. You know, it was like this weird time where everyone was available. No one was on the road. No one's working that much, you know, at all. Some Most people, that was helpful. And it just built from there. And I, I was able to kind of get some things rolling right away. And and um, 
So it's been great. I never had that before where I'm home, I can, I can have a little business going on on the side, you know, so that's been kind of cool. <laughs> You've been with Steely Dan for 20 years now. How do you keep everything feeling fresh and uh, like you're still, you still have a good time on that gig, or it sounds as though, so how is that working? Uh, yeah, I love it. It's, um, it, it doesn't get old. I mean, it helps that we don't really, we, we, it's been a consistent gig, but there's been a lot of downtime, you know, at, at the beginning they would do a tour, a really long tour and then take maybe a year or two off. And that's kind of when, um, I was able to, to luckily just fit in all these other things that came along with, with, you know, um, with Sting or, or with John Mayer and even Toto and did some stuff with James Taylor. It was all like in between tours and it just kind of miraculously worked out timing wise. I got lucky over the years it, they, they started working more and doing tours every year, but they were maybe a little shorter. Um, so I could still kind of get my other stuff in there around their schedule, the, the jazz thing that I kind of like to do and keep going and instrumental music. But the, the gig itself, it doesn't get old. I love it. I'm a huge fan of the music, and, and it's, it's just such a unique um, – everything that makes up what Steely Dan is, is is very unique unto itself, being that it's a, there's just so many – all those great recordings and, and great drummers from the, the, the early days and the 70s and of when they used to craft these great-sounding records and, and that whole – um, era was, I, I, I love all that. It's my favorite stuff, you know, just the seventies and the eighties, some of the sixties, it's just that whole era of record making, the crafting that went into it. Everyone's playing their instruments really well and really focused on groove and time and being in tune and just all the little details. And, you know, it's a great period. So I love all that. So I, I kind of get to to do that, you know, and and kind of emulate that thing. I kind of it's almost like live is still kind of like there's an energy about it that's not like the records, but but there's also that attention to detail that's really fun that I love with that music, and it has to be there, it has to be done right. So I, I love it. So you've been on the longer vital with the Eagles, and what's that been like as a tour? It's been great. I mean, that's that's a killer lineup, if you ask me. But it's been really, really fun um, being with. Uh, uh, the, I mean, the, the Eagles and and just the 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 body of work that they have as a band, and also as in their solo work within the band, the different artists, you know. They just have so many great songs, and it's 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 great to just be out there, and and it's just a great night of music. I mean, I, that's that's been awesome. It, it's been different for for us because we're the opening act, and I mean, I guess it's considered a double bill, but but we are the opening act, and and um and so you know we we just have an hour set. Usually we play two and a half to three hours on a normal Steely Dan tour, you know. So it's like a really quick set and we just get out there and, and it's just done before you know it, which is, 
you know, in some ways it's kind of neat. In other ways, it's like, oh, we're just getting getting warmed up. But it's it's fun to just go out there and just nail it, and then and then just we're, we're done. We get out early. We're like, we we get out of the building and we're back at our hotel. You know, before before ten. <laughs> it's pretty weird. And we have the late sound check, so it's like it's a really short, much shorter day than usual. So it just feels like it just feels very different, you know. But it's it's been fun. But yeah, it's uh, hopefully it continues for a while. It's been really um, great, great run so far. We had to unfortunately can- cancel a few shows um, due to a, a, just a minor illness in the band, but we're we're going to get back out there in, in January. How on earth do you compile a set list for one hour out of the material that there is with Steely Dan? I know it's there's just a lot of tunes we don't play, you know, that I'm sure people would love to hear and that we would I mean, I would love to play. It's it's up to Donald. Donald decides what he wants to do and always has. It's always been whatever Donald and Walter want to do. But now that it's just Donald, Donald just decides because we lost Walter, as you probably know. But Donald just before the show, um, you know, may make some changes, but we, we generally have something set in stone, like a, a rough uh, set list of what it's going to be for the tour. And there's a few little sections within that where he'll switch things out just to keep things fresh, just to, for, for our sake, you know. But yeah, I mean, there's so many tunes we could do, you know, this like, so you know, as we go along, I'm sure it'll change, but, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's hard to do. It's hard to get, because, you know, Donald has his tunes that he likes to play and then they're not always going to be the hits. He's not just trying to do the hit songs. He likes to mix it up, you know, which is cool too. But for the, for, at least for the diehard fans, it's cool. But for people that just know the hits that aren't maybe the casual fan, they're like, hey, I wanted to hear this. and that, you know. Um, but that just happens. You can't please everybody. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just rambling. But yeah, that's that's hard. It's hard to, to know what to play in, within an hour. But so far, so good. It's been, it's been a, good, a good thing. It's been fun. We're going to talk about Gretsch now. So when and how did you join the Gretsch family? I joined officially in, I believe it was 2012. But I had been a Gretsch player from, you know, I guess way back. One of my first kits was a Gretsch Gretsch kit, um, you know, when I was really young. So I've always loved it. And when the time felt right, I, I, I made the switch to Gretsch in, in 2012 and, and been very happy there. With your Gretsch signature snare drum, is there a story behind it that you can tell me? Well, uh, I was certainly very um, excited and, and honored to be asked to, to put something together um, that they were interested in, in doing that. And so that's that was a great feeling just to, to have that opportunity. But, you know, I wanted to, I wanted the drum to be something that obviously was a sound that I, that's associated with me a lot, but also that, that I use most of the time or all the time, a drum that can be used for, for anything. And that's kind of the approach I took with it. And I knew I wanted it to be a brass drum because I've always loved from back in the piccolo days to, to more, you know, like a five and a five and a half to a six size range. 
I've always loved metal drums and it's usually been a brass that I go to. I just love, especially live, because I love that the crack that it gives and, and it it can kind of uh, really pierce through a live situation really well. And it records great. So it just has everything. So we, we went with something in the mid, middle range, like a five and a half, pretty standard, that would um, allow for different tunings that would sound really, really well. And um, depending on low, high, medium tunings. And so that it could just really, you could just have one drum and be fine. And that you could use in the studio and live. And so that was the idea. And then we just made it as Gretsch as possible with all the, the standard Gretsch hardware and and uh, die cast hoops and, and, you know, just made it very cool. And, and I wanted it to have uh, kind of um, a rustic, like it had been buried in the earth for a month or two, you know, or maybe more than that. Just a rusty look, not so pretty. I wanted it to just kind of have like a worn, kind of it's been around for a while look, kind of vintage. And, and we came up, Andrew Shreve and, and Paul Cooper at Gretsch, kind of came up with this Pantina vibe where every shell is going to kind of have its own look, you know, it's, it's, there's just going to be different stains and different things that happen in the process. So every, every shell is going to be unique. It's not going to be exact because it's, they, they're, they found some kind of concoction of, you know, I, I don't know if it's like lemon juice and, and, other ingredients they threw in there. <laughs> I don't know what, I can't remember exactly. It's like a secret thing, but, but they dip the shell in and it rusts and it just does its thing. So every shell is going to be quite different or, you know, it won't be exactly the same. And I'm not really sure what that does to the sound. I wonder if it, if it does anything, but it could, who knows, maybe under a microscope, but uh, you know, I've been really happy with it and I've gotten so much great feedback. And I think, it was definitely uh, a good size choice too, because I think it was the only metal five and a half in the USA line that you know the Gretsch hasn't hadn't had that size before. So that was great that we could put that out there, and um, and it's, it's been, the feedback's been amazing. I mean, I get contacted through social media all the time from people that just send me pictures and how much they love it, and you know, so that's that's kind of cool. I'm glad people are liking it. How did the process start? Did you say something to Gretsch or did they just come to you and say that they wanted to do something? Um, they came to me. We, we you know, I, I may have hinted at it, <laughs> but eventually they came to me um, and just, you know, said they were going to do a few more um, signature drums with, with a couple of artists uh, at that time. And, and I was one of the chosen ones and I was, I was very excited about it. And we, we just started by talking about the, the dimensions and the specifications and, and the, the shell and it being brass and, and all that. So we narrowed it down to a few things. And then we just started going through a few prototypes and, and changing little things here and there as I played around with it. I think we went back and forth maybe three, four times and, until I, I felt like it was we found the right thing. And, and that was it. It was pretty straight ahead, pretty simple. How long did the whole process take from start to finish? I guess, um, I mean, I think, I think, you know, maybe six months of, of prototypes and then 
like, I don't know, maybe within a year we had, we had something going. I'm not sure how long it took to get it out there, but, but I would say within a year, the whole process of, of choosing everything and, and, uh, you know, getting the first batch made, I think there were a lot of orders at first and they were backed up and, uh, they send me this that we don't have anything about me on the on the actual shell. It's like inside the shell. There's a sticker, the Gretsch sticker, and I sign those. So that's kind of the signature part of it. So they've sent me so many labels, and I, I sign them all and, and send them back, and they stick them inside the drum. And So that's cool because, you know, not everybody's going to want to have someone's name on it. You know, I get it. So it's it's a good way to do it, you know, to keep it a little incognito where – you know, if you want to know, there it is. If you don't, it's just a great drum, you know. It's a great looking drum and it sounds great. I find that really cool that you actually sign the labels. It's not even like they put a laser signature on the drum or something. It's really come from you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Old school all the way. <laughs> it's great. It's like I just get my Sharpie out and sign it. Seriously, that's it. Did you have to like limit yourself to or set a target for how many stickers you would sign per day or anything? <laughs> no, but I think they send me 500 at a time and I've done several of those batches and it's just, it's all like, it's rolled up, you know, all together, rolled up like a poster and I just do one by one. I'll take a few breaks because it gets a little uncomfortable, but I just set aside the time. I'm like going to get this done and you know, it's not too bad. You get to where you just, I try to make it neat, but I still have a little scribbly way of doing it, you know. It, it goes by. <laughs> what, what a bizarre thing to do as part of your career. I just wonder, I mean, what would you have thought of that when you started drumming if you knew that one day you would be doing that? Oh, I don't know. That's really weird. Just just the, the, the signing signature drum thing. Yeah, I, it's crazy. It's really crazy. I mean, I, I, it's just one of those. Yeah, that's certainly a, a, a dream that... that um, I may have had at one point, but I, I really didn't think that would happen. It was pretty cool. <laughs> and it's, it's really, it's great that it's Gretsch and that they wanted to do that. It's very, very cool. It's, very, it's an honor for me. Right. I'm going to take you on to the supergroup question. So who would you pick for your supergroup? And they can be people that are no longer with us. They can't be people that are no longer? They can. Oh, they can. They can. Oh, man. Well, super group. Uh, so maybe, um, let me say, Zigaboo on drums from the meters. And then we have, uh, I would say maybe Paul McCartney on the bass. And uh, wow. Wonder, I wonder what it would sound like to have like Stevie Ray Vaughan on guitar. That would be cool. Uh, who could play keys? Maybe Rick Wakeman or something, something really bizarre and like not all these people that you wouldn't think would play together. That would be cool. And then um, maybe, I don't know, maybe um, have like John Lennon out front too. Oh, I already have a Beatle in there. Let's see. Maybe, uh, I don't know, Robert Plant, Robert Plant out there. Wow. That would be, (laughs) that would be a mixture. I love it. (laughs) But would you play drums too? You must do. Oh, I don't know. I'd like to hear that. I, I, Zig is one of my big all-time influences, so that that'd be kind of cool. Or you could be MD <laughs> or something. Yeah. 
I'll just be a fan. Tour manager. Hey, there you go. Might work. Okay, I want to ask you about playing for Sting. I mean, what is that like? That is, that's another of these crazy situations where I can't imagine as a drummer that you then play with Sting. Yeah, I, you know, huge fan of of the police. I love, you know, all that stuff. Big influence, Stuart Copeland and, and um, just what they came up with musically, really, it kind of changed things, you know, and, and um, so and I, I followed Sting's solo career since then. And, and I'm, you know, just, I was always a fan, to, you know, um, certainly was uh, someone on my list that I would love to play with, but you just don't, you don't think these things are going to present themselves. But um, it was uh, during my first tour with Steely Dan, which was in 2003 at that time, Somehow, you know, there was a buzz going on uh, um, with me, I suppose, because I was this new guy in the in Steely Dan, and a lot of people didn't really know much about me. I was just, I just kind of came out of nowhere, and so I, there, there was a buzz, and I think a lot there were some people that somehow Sting heard about me, you know, in in, in word of mouth, old school way, and uh, I remember our monitor engineer Vishwadi was his name great monitor, monitor engineer during the Steely tour in 03. Uh, he also worked with Sting and he, he, he somehow got word that um, Sting was looking for someone. Come to find out Vinny was, had, couldn't do whatever was coming up because of other obligations. So they were just trying to find someone. And somehow my name came up. I worked with Chris Bodie for a while, trumpet player before Steely Dan. Um, and him and Sting are good friends. Chris, I, I know for a fact he he must have put in a good word for me to Sting. So somehow my name just kind of came up a few times, and so I guess that created enough um, curiosity on his part to to fly me out to his his house in outside of England. I mean, outside of London, um, and. It was the one that's kind of like near Stonehenge, like you know the castle. I forgot, um, forgot what he called that house, but anyway, beautiful place. And uh, it was a break in the Steely Dan tour that, and it just they just, he, he invited me out to his home. They were rehearsing for some promo stuff coming up, coming up. So the whole band was there. Vinny was there. First time I'd met Vinny in person and we hung out for, I was there for maybe five days and I didn't play. I just kind of hung out and just got to know everyone a little bit. I had the best time with Vinny. We, we just, I'll always remember that. It's just, we, we just cracked up and just had a great, he was really cool. It, he wasn't like, at least he didn't make it, make me feel like he was bugged out that I was just hanging out watching, you know, that he was really cool. And, and, um, it was just a hang just as I guess they just wanted to make sure I wasn't like some weirdo, you know, and that I, they, I guess they had heard I could play. And I, I guess Vinny must have said something as well. Anyway, the stars aligned and, and, um, and I came in uh, later that year and did, did finished up the promo that Vinny couldn't do. And then, then I was on the tour that following year 
and that that went on for uh, I think two years. It was a two year stretch with with a few breaks in there, but it was pretty full on for for two years. And then um, I just I mean I had the time of my life. It, musically, it was it was really incredible. Um, I learned a lot, and uh, but you know getting to see the world a few times. Uh, we went around. I guess a couple of times and, um, you know, it was just a great, the accommodations were, you know, insane. It was, it was all like rock star treatment. So all that was, was, was fun and cool. And, and, um, I, you know, I just had a great time on top of the, the musical part, which was really, really inspiring and fun. And we played police tunes, of course. And we, we did, um, just stuff from his whole um his whole career it was really fun just changing it up all the time and I remember rehearsals he was always I think he was always getting bored and wanted to to change arrangements just try new things try new grooves tried just you know constantly evolving the songs you know just just to to see where they could go and and that that was that was one thing I learned just how he works and how you know, just being around that, that creativity was really something. It was just great. But man, it was, it was incredible. Just another crazy experience in my, my ride, my roller coaster, you know, it was like, it was one thing after, one thing after another in those days. It's crazy. How on earth do you deal with nerves or in a situation like that? Firstly, you turn up at Sting's Castle and then Vinny's there to kind of mentor you through the drum parts. How do you deal with that? I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I was, I'm sure I was super green and and nervous, but uh, I just tried to hide it. (laughs) Um, But, but they made it comfortable and they were all really cool. You know, and that helps a lot when you don't feel a weird vibe and everyone was welcoming and, you know, playing with Steely Dan really puts you on the map. I mean, they're really well respected within the whole industry and especially amongst musicians. And of course, Sting has that same, same thing, you know, where, where you're, if you're involved with Sting, you, you're, you're considered one of the great players. And that, that's what's, what the whole Steely Dan thing was all about. And I think it just kind of gave me a credential that that always helped, you know, like people respected that right off the bat. So it it helped. They were all very fun. It was it was my first time around. um, I was the only American. So it was the first time around all the British humor that I, I, I learned to love. But at first I was just I was so thrown off. You know, because we have such different sense of humors, as, as you know, you know, it's just like, <laughs> but I, I had to get used to that, uh, that, that thing. And then I loved it. I'm like, I started, you know, it was really fun. But at first I was like, how do you, I, are they, are they being mean or is it just the, the humor? Or, you know? <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. So who else is on your list of people that you'd love to play for? Is there anyone still? Do you still have a list? I don't know if I have a list anymore. I, I, um, I've been really fortunate to, to, do, to be involved with a lot of them that I've dreamed about, which is crazy. But I think for now it's just finding, finding new things that, that's challenging and fun. You know, that's just 
And those things keep coming. It's, it's like a lot of it's just recording with people or, or maintaining everything, keep it, keeping it going, keep keeping the machine going. And, but, um, I don't know, I guess if I had to mention someone, maybe, I mean, I'm such a Beatles fan. So of course I'd, I'd love to play with Paul, but, um, Oh man, he's got such a killer band that that'll never happen. You know, it's like those guys are so great and they're so perfect. I love that band. Yeah, that comes to mind. Stevie Wonder, of course, would be awesome. I was going to ask you about educational topics now. So in 2010, you released the big picture and educational DVD and um, you have In The Jam, NYC Funk, which is a package of play-along tracks, which looks really cool, which is on your website. Have you got any other plans to release educational material or is that taking a backseat at the moment? It's kind of a backseat at the moment. Um, I haven't, I just haven't had any ideas there at all. So um, maybe one day. I, I still love doing the occasional you know, masterclass or clinic, whatever you want to call that, you know, thing where, where it's a class in front of people and uh, versus doing like private lessons. I mean, I really enjoy doing the class setting and, and just having different people to, to, you know, it's more of an audience kind of vibe. I, I enjoy that. So I still do those occasionally. Uh, I used to do a lot of that on the road. I used to try to, to book things on days off and, and I would actually seek it out and there, there was just more budgets for it back in those days. It seemed from the companies, and um, so I would get, I would get contacted if if someone knew I was going to be in their town, and you know, it would just kind of uh, organically happen. So I, I do enjoy that a lot, and I do teach occasionally privately, but just nothing consistent. You know, where I have like people coming all the time on, on a consistent basis. It's usually just a one off if I'm in in someone's town or something. Other than that, that's that's pretty much what's happening that, with that thing. But but maybe eventually. Okay. Have you got any um, plans for what's coming up next? So January, February, and March, I'll be back out with Seely Dan with the Eagles, and uh, that's all in the states so far. It's yet to be determined whether it's going to continue on from there, but as of now, it's just January, February, March. And I have a tour that's kind of in the works with um, Bill Evans, sax player, and um, John Modeski on on organ, keyboards, and uh, Felix Pastorius on bass. We're kind of putting together this super group or, you know, whatever you want to call that for a tour in Europe. I think it's going to be like hopefully in May. I'll know more about that soon, but that's kind of exciting. I haven't done that in a while. And, um, so I'll have to keep you posted on that. But other than that, you know, I'm still doing recordings at home and, and then, and then just doing more touring coming up. So I'm looking forward to it. Great. Okay. Thank you. Those were all my questions, but I don't know if there's anything else that I haven't talked about that you'd like to tell me about. Oh, I will say, you know, that it's amazing that we're at 140 years of Gretsch drums. I mean, I can't see how that's even possible. It's it's an amazing story. It's like Gretsch and Zildjian are like the oldest, two of the oldest. I know Zildjian's really old, but but this this seems pretty old. It's like a, it's just, it's just a 
amazing accomplishment. So I'll say happy anniversary to Gretsch. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to play the drums and I love the drums. And, and um, so thank you for having me on board on the team and, and uh, looking forward to many more years of that. Okay, then Keith Carlock, thank you very much for being a guest on Drum Talk International, The Gretsch Sessions. Thanks, Gemma. Nice talking to you. So thank you for listening. And a reminder that your comment, subscription to this podcast or like will go a long way. I hope you'll join me, your host Gemma Hill, soon for another episode of Drum Talk International, The Gretsch Sessions.